We have a super, super, super special opportunity tonight to hear from someone who you all, many of you guys know, who is a really good friend of mine, who got the opportunity to be with us this last year is on staff with our church, and literally he's someone that I have the utmost respect for that I am excited for you guys to hear from this evening, uh, because he's going to be closing out our accuracy series. And so if you've been here, then you know that over the past four weeks, this is week five of accuracy. And so we have been looking at different topics of understanding who God is, what does the Bible have to say, and what is our response to both of those things. And so tonight, we get to hear from my friend Justin. And so give it up for Justin, and I'll let you take it away. Thank you. Hey, hey. What's up, guys? So glad. So glad to be back here with you guys. I am super excited. Um, how's school been going? One person was really excited about school. Is anyone's school is the worst? Of all the questions you ask when you get back, you ask how school is going. Because I care about you. I want to know how your school is going. How many, how many of you, for you, English class is the worst? How many of you, many of you science class is the worst? All right. Well, thank you guys. For me, English class was the worst, but hold on. In science class, that's actually where I got in trouble. I was uh, sitting in the back of the class, last name Wilson, alphabetical order, always in the back, and um, I kept talking in class, because uh, I was in the back, wasn't really paying attention, and the teacher noticed, and at the end of class, gave me a slip for detention. <laughs> and so I had to stay after school and go to detention. Um, and I'd never been to detention before I walked in there. I was like, ooh, these are like all the bad kids that I was getting in trouble. And I sat down in the back and I was like, yeah, doing my work. And the next day, end of the day, I was really tired, ready to go home with the last class of the day. And I was just chit-chatting with my friends. And again, more talking and my teacher gave me detention. I ended up all five days of the week getting detention. And so my assistant principal was like, Justin, what are you doing? You're a good kid. You need to just be quiet. So I learned the, just to... Sure, yeah, I'll say be quiet. <laughs> I'll say that um, while I was in class uh, in there. But that's my story. What I want to do now, if you'll let me, is we'll pray uh, as we get started, if you want to bow your heads. Dear God, uh, I just thank you so much for the opportunity you give us um, to be here. God, I, I'm so thankful for each and every one of these students that you've um, brought here. God, I pray that tonight my words will be your words and this will all be for your glory and for your honor, that this will not be my boast, but a truth from you. And God, I pray that each and every one of these students um, can calm and listen to what you have to say, and that we can have an awesome time together. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So we are continuing in our accuracy series, and so I want to look and get an accurate look at sin. Because in order for us to take an accurate look at God, we really need to have an accurate view of sin. So I hope you will follow along with me uh, as we go today. But if we're going to talk about sin, what we first need to do is we need to kind of define what sin is. And this is the definition I have for us tonight, is that sin is anything that opposes the will of God. I kind of put that in some nicer words that will help us understand as we go through today. But no, I didn't just make this up. This, this is rooted in scripture and the word of God from 1 John 3, 4. Anything that opposes the will of God, when, when we speak evil, when we think 
evil, when we act out evil, or even when we omit good. That's when we oppose the will of God. When we see sin in scripture, what we see that uh, in Hebrew, in the original language, and I'll pull it up for you, that right there, and it's this word, get ready how to pronounce it, it's chata. Everyone say chata. <laughs> yeah, and that, that right there, chata, means to fail. It, that would be the, the Hebrew word that they would use. We've all sinned, we've all chata, we've all failed. I know we failed, not only because scripture tells us that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God in Romans chapter three, verse 23, but I know we've all sinned because I know we've all felt the consequences of sins. The consequences of chata, when when we fail to respect our teachers by talking in the back of the classroom all the time, we, we chata, and the consequence is getting detention. When we when we chata, when we fail to obey the speed limit, our consequence is a speeding ticket. When we chata, when we fail to obey God's will and God's word, and God's law that is in scripture, that's sin, that's our, that's our chata, that's our fail, when we fail that. See, sin, that failure, that chata, sin is the opposite of righteousness not following God's will, not following God's commands. So now that we have an idea of what sin is, now that we've laid that down, it's, it's chata, it's anything that opposes the will of God. How does God view sinners? If sin is the, the opposition of his great and wonderful will, how does he view the people that commit sin, those sinners? And when I answer this question, I look to scripture, back in Romans, it says this in chapter six, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. For the wages, wages is like your, your paycheck, what you earn for doing a job. What, what we've earned when we sin is death. And that, that's an eternal death. That here what we've earned, what we've earned by doing our own actions is hell. But it doesn't stop there. We get a wonderful comma. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And that's wonderful. And I love that, that we earned death. We, we sinned and we built up a wall of sin piece by piece when we sin and built up a wall between us and God, between us and God's will, his perfect will, between us and all the good things that God wants to do in our lives. We build up that wall of sin. But Jesus came to knock down that wall. That Jesus came and knocked down that wall. God is a, is a perfect judge. There are gonna be consequences for our sin. But because he's given us this gift of eternal life through his love and his grace, we see that. I want to highlight this in the words of Jesus when he's teaching a parable. Not my words, but how Jesus teaches this. And if you have your Bible, open up with me 
we're going to park ourselves in Luke chapter 15. If you don't have one, it'll be right up here. And we're going to start in verse 8, the parable of the lost coin. It says this, Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God whenever one, or over one sinner who repents. Men, know that God loves you so much, and God is searching after you. God is seeking after you. God is seeking after non-believers and believers alike because of his love. He's seeking after them because he knows we have value. And not because of anything we've done, not because of anything of our value, but because we are a part of his creation. If you think about that coin in the parable, which president is on the, uh, is on the quarter? George Washington. The, the leaders, the rulers, their image gets stamped, gets pressed onto coins, something that holds value. And whether it be George Washington or a king, a ruler of that day, the coin that she is missing is stamped with an image of the ruler, giving it legitimacy and value. We, as a part of God's creation, bear the image of him. We are made in God's image. We have value because we are a part of his creation and he has stamped on us his image. But there's still that, that sin issue there even, as he's, uh, even after he's searching after us. Searching after those non-believers. So I want to look at the very next parable that we see in Luke chapter 15. It talks about what he's doing with believers, people that have accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior. It's called the parable of the prodigal son. You may have heard it before, and this next section is, is kind of a hefty one, so allow me to summarize it for you. Um, we're following uh, Luke 15, 11 through 32. This man has his farm and two sons, and he's, he's working the field, doing his family business, and for whatever reason, the younger of the two sons feels like he's not getting what he wants or deserves and is not happy with what's going on. And he goes up to his father and he asks, he demands from his father, give me my inheritance. The, the money that would be passed down, the, the assets, all the things when his father would have died passed down to him as his child that he would be entitled to. And he says, give me my inheritance. But if he's asking for his inheritance from his father before his father is dead, what he's saying is I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead. That, that hata, that failure to his father, we see in, in, in stark image here. And what we would think the father would do is immediately rebuke his son, how dare you say that to me? Put him in his place. That's what we'd expect but what we see in scripture is that the father does the opposite and he gives his son the money. Here. 
And he leaves and he takes that money, which would have been a substantial amount. Even the younger son's portion would have been a substantial amount of money. And he goes and spends that money. He goes off and buys things, spending it out. I imagine he's flashing the cash, but it was coins back then, so he hit people on the head. He's spending all that money. Eventually, all that money is gone. He spent all of it. He wasted all of that money that he got from his father. And he's left homeless. And the story that Jesus is telling, he brings us to this moment where the younger son, having lost everything, been homeless, he can't afford to eat. He's hungry, so he goes and eats pig slop. He, he eats what the pigs are eating. And in that moment, he realizes He's wasted everything and he'd be better off going home than staying there and eating that. That he'd be treated better than even what these pigs were getting. And so he goes home to his father. And what we'd expect the reaction from his father to be, what in actuality the older brother's reaction is, what we'd expect is that his father would say to him something like, how dare you show up here? You basically told me in my face that you wanted me to die, took your money, and left. How dare you show up? But that's not what the father's response is. The father sees his younger son coming home after some time, and seeing that his younger son, even from a far way, he reaches his arms out open wide and invites his son back home. He even tells his servants to slaughter some animals because they're going to have a celebration, they're going to have dinner, they're going to throw a party. He is so excited that his son is home. He invites him because he's family. He still had consequences for his actions. He became homeless. He had to eat pig food. But because he's family, he was invited back home. Jesus finishes this parable when we look at verse 31 and 32 to the older son. He says, my son, you are always with me and everything that I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. We are in God's family, and he welcomes us home with arms wide open and celebrates our return. Our sin still has consequences, but our God loves us so much that he invites us with arms wide open, because Jesus has already paid our debt. What what we have wasted, what we have squandered in our sin, in our chata, in our failure, Jesus has already paid that debt when he died on the cross to defeat sin and death on a hill called Calvary thousands of years ago and thousands of miles away. And he did it for each and every one of you because he loves you so, so much. To really illustrate this point, to really kind of visualize maybe what's, what hopefully you're getting from what I'm talking about. And we're going to do something together. Uh, and I have a volunteer, Josh. He's going to come up. And we're going to do something uh, together as he comes up. And Chris is his lovely assistant. He's going to join us up here. 
Remember the scripture from earlier, for the wages of sin is death, something that we earned. We have earned the consequences of our sin. And just for the sake of this, I just want to like, we're just gonna pretend as I've made up that because of our sin, what we've earned is 10 push-ups. But what you have the option to do is to pay your debt and do your 10 push-ups. You can do them on your own or, or you can have Josh do them for you. You can, you can do your push-ups, your 10 push-ups, or Josh can do them for you. And Chris is here to count those push-ups, make sure he does the 10, uh, and help him out with that. He's gonna keep track of how many push-ups that Josh needs to do, and he's gonna do them right here, right on stage. I don't wanna do my push-ups. Josh, I need you to do 10 push-ups for me, right up here. Yeah, yeah. Do my 10 push-ups. Uh-huh, go ahead. Chris has got the count. All right. Will, Freckles, do you want to do your 10 push-ups right there where you are, or do you want Josh to do them for you? You're going to do your 10 push-ups? All right, go ahead. And while Will is doing his push-ups, Josh, go ahead and do 10 push-ups. Go, go ahead and do, your, do 10 push-ups right there. Johnny, right here, right up front. Do you want to do your 10 push-ups or do you want Josh to do them for you? You're going to do your 10 push-ups? All right, go ahead. Josh, do 10 more. Go ahead and do 10. Oh, Chris doesn't want to do his 10. 20 more. You keep counting. Right, right over here, right up front, Caleb. Do you want to do your 10 push-ups or do you want Josh to do them for you? All right, well, you're doing that. Add 10 more. So you're counting how many he's doing over here. How many has he done so far? How many push ups has Josh done so far? He's done 40. He's done 40 push ups so far. Are your arms getting tired? Keep going, Josh. How many more does he have? 14 more right here. Okay. Focus in on what we're doing. I don't need anyone to talk right here. Oh my God. All right. All right, hold on. Robert, would you like to do your 10 push-ups or you want Josh to do them for you? Okay, Josh, go ahead and do 10 more push-ups. I know, I heard him. I, I said, I heard him. Nicole, do you want to do your 10 push-ups? Oh, you get 10 more push-ups. How many more does he have now? He's got eight more push-ups. If you need to, Josh, I'll, I'll let you. You can go down your knees and do some cheater push-ups. Okay. Ashley, do you want to do your 10 push-ups or do you want Josh to do them for you? No? Okay, so Josh, do 10 more push-ups. 18 more. Josh, you feeling tired? Possibly. A little bit tired? How many, how many more push-ups does he have? 18 more push-ups. You ready to keep, keep doing some more push-ups? Like, give me like a five minute break, I can do it. Do you, do you want to drink a water? Take a drink of water and we'll do some more push-ups. All right, get that water. Okay, uh, Ross, are you gonna do your push-ups or is Josh gonna do them for you? All right, so more push-ups, 28 more push-ups. Stop. So 20, 28 more push-ups. Right, Isaiah, are you gonna do your push-ups or is 
You're gonna do your own? Okay, add more 10 push-ups. Uh, add 10 more. 38, You ready to start doing more push-ups? Right here, right on stage. Josh, Josh, you like working out, right? In your muscles, when, when you're working them, lactic acid starts to build up, right? Is, is it comfortable to do this many push-ups? Is it difficult to do this many push-ups? Okay. How many more does he have? He has 34 left. 34 more. Okay. The, the, these push-ups, that when I asked you, we just added 10 more onto what he's got. How many has he done so far? He's done 72. 72 push-ups. Is that as many as you can do? All right, hold on. You guys can take your seats. You, you guys can take your seats. I don't need anyone to talk. I don't need anyone to talk. You guys can, you guys can sit down. You can take your seats. Josh, do you have one more push-up in you? Can I get one more push-up? One more? One more push-up. Possibly. There you go. There's your one push-up. Are, are you sweaty? Are you tired? It's difficult? I'm sweating right now. <laughs> I, thank you for doing your push-ups. Everyone give them a round of applause. Thank you so much. So guys, what, what did that mean? Was it, I just wanted to make Josh do uh, a ton of push-ups on stage, make him get all sweaty, because I don't like Josh? No, Josh, Josh is my friend, he's, he's a cool guy. But listen, you, you have a choice when you sin but what you can't choose, what you can't do alone is change your sin. What you can't do alone is change the consequences. No matter if you chose to do your 10 push-ups or not, Josh got 10 more to do. No, no matter what you chose, no matter what you told me, Josh had to do your 10 push-ups. Josh was paying your push-up debt. And listen, you can't change your sin and you can't change how much God loves you. There's nothing alone you can do that can change that. Because Jesus has already paid your debt of sin on the cross. So now that we have an idea of sin and we know how God views sinners, non-believers and believers alike, what do you do? What do we do now? And again, I want to look to scripture. This time I want to turn us to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 15. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that, when one, that one died for all and therefore all died. That we are with Christ in his death on the cross as, as Christian believers. And so what is Christ's love, the love that died on the cross, what is that compelling us to do? What is it compelling us to do about the sin in our lives? His love is compelling us to pursue righteousness. If you remember nothing else, Remember that when, when you're confronting sin, you are to pursue righteousness. How do you pursue righteousness? You, you have two options. I call it fight or flight. 
that, that you can fight those sins, those, those desires of your flesh. You can fight this sin to hata and fail to respect your teacher, to do what you need to do in school, to respect your parents. You can fight that. Only because of Jesus can we do that because the same power that defeated sin on the cross lives in you as the Holy Spirit as believers. That when we confess our sins and make Jesus the Lord of our lives, that the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us and that power is how we can defeat sin. We can go to battle with the devil because he is nothing but a liar and a coward and we've got the Holy Spirit on our side. We can go to battle with the devil because Jesus has already won the war. We can fight that sin. But scripture also tells us that there are sins, and it lays it out very clearly for a few specific sins. It could be sexual immorality that we are to flee. That's that flight and fight or flight. That we are to flee sexual temptations and run away from those situations. What's tempting you you gotta run away. It could be a situation, it could be people you're with, it could be your phone. You gotta get out of those situations. You have to flee, fight or flight. It could be both. You fight and flight. When you think about gossip or bullying, when you, when you see it, you gotta call it out. Hey, that's not right. In yourself or in other people, and then you've gotta flee. You say, that's not right. And if it's your, your friends or people around you, you gotta leave, get out of that situation. And that is how we're gonna pursue righteousness. When we think about an accurate picture of who God is, when we think about an accurate picture of sin and what that means in our lives and how God views us, in all that we do, in everything that we do, we must pursue righteousness. Pursue righteousness in our school. We've gotta pursue righteousness at home with the people we care about most. You've got to pursue righteousness even when you're alone and you think no one else can see you, no one else will know. You've got to pursue righteousness. That, that's my challenge to you and I know you can do it. I know you can do it because you don't have to do it alone. You have people around you, your fellow believers, your church family that come alongside you and right along with you are pursuing righteousness, the adults, the volunteers here at student ministry, you don't have to do it alone in your pursuit of righteousness. In everything that you do, you must pursue righteousness because God loves the mess out of you and has already paid your debt. If you would pray with me. Father God, I thank you so much for time that you've given us to be together. God, I thank you for the truth of your word. God, I especially thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. That because of the debt that he has paid, we have the gift of eternal life. God, I pray that we can, in everything that we do, pursue righteousness and in all things look to you in that pursuit. It's in Jesus' name that we pray tonight. Amen.